But at the end of the day, making and moving stuff is about getting something from point A to point B with as little waste as possible. And you can carry those lessons from industry to industry. I think that cross-pollination is a nice thing. I think that there are really great best practices in different industries that other industries can benefit from. Ready to talk logistics? How? It can't be done. Figure out some logistics. Welcome back to another episode of Supply Chain Therapy. I'm your host, Alex Kent, joined today by my co-host, Michelle McNamara. Michelle, what's going on? What's been happening in your world? Lots going on, Alex. I am really excited to talk to today's guest, Jundan Gooch, Chief Operating Officer at the Anthropology Group. She came to Anthropology following her roles of Chief Supply Chain Officer at Away and SVP of Ops Excellence at Lululemon. Her career began in manufacturing at Ford Motors, where she learned on the factory floor. But after 10 years in consulting at Deloitte and IBM, she entered the retail space. Jundan, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thanks. All right. So this is supply chain therapy after all. So we would like to start with a deep breath, a collective deep breath as a group. Ready? Inhale. And exhale. I feel like that might have been my first breath all day. Not sure about anyone else. So we are going to jump right in. The Anthropology Group has celebrated 30 years. Congratulations. Super exciting. Gosh, we think back 30 years ago, 1992, everyone was in bucket hats. And here we are. As we 30 are years. again in bucket hats. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> here we are. I didn't bring it for the show, but uh, yeah, back to bucket hats. And I look at Anthropology's website. They have a great assortment. And to me, that really speaks to how enduring the brand is, how timeless it is, and also how much it has permeated so many aspects of their customers' lives, home goods, furniture, accessories, apparel. I mean, that's just the start of the list. And so you think about all those different categories, it adds additional complexities with each one. And so Jundan, you joined as COO. I'm curious, did that have any impact on you joining? Was that enticing at all? For sure. I mean, but I think for me, like the biggest driver when I was considering the opportunity was just how special Anthro is to me. It's a place that I've shopped for decades. It's the only place where I think that me and my sisters and my mom for multiple decades have consistently enjoyed shopping together, despite having very different style preferences. Funny story, actually, when I first started talking to Trisha Smith, our CEO and the URBN team about this role at Anthro, I didn't tell my mom and sisters uh, <laughs> about the opportunity. In fact, I flew up to Philly a couple times in secret. Only my husband knew. Knowing how much they love the brand, I knew that they would get super excited and I didn't want them to be disappointed if it didn't work out. So her and my sisters were really happy when I joined. It's just been part of our lives for a long time. So I like the complexity. With that, I'm curious, yourself being a customer for so long and then coming in and seeing kind of the behind the curtains of the supply chain, what impact did that have? You know, did it, your eyes open wide to certain aspects of it or were you just like, oh yeah, this is pretty normal? I think for retail, Anthro does have a pretty complex supply chain. I think relative to, you know, say like the industrial sector, it doesn't. I think like generally speaking, more product complexity or more product diversity and more channel diversity equals more operational complexity. And we are a legacy retailer. We're known for having really, you know, inspirational in-store experiences. And historically, the majority of our portfolio 
is in apparel categories, but we've been growing our home business. Like you mentioned, Michelle, upholstered furniture, case goods, tabletop, all that kind of stuff. And that business is primarily an e-com business. So that's pretty different from the origins of Anthro. Hmm. And that level of diversity is different from the retailers that I've worked with in the past. You know, as we're growing our home business and we're investing in it, you know, those products are delivered really differently from dresses and tank tops and sunglasses. You can't have a dresser and, you know, a piece of apparel go down the same conveyor belt in the same fulfillment center and they're manufactured differently and warehoused really differently. And the way customers buy them is different. So we've been investing in our team and our facilities and our manufacturing partners to scale it. And it's it's certainly a challenge, but it's a it's a fun challenge. And from a retail point of view, I think it's it's pretty it's pretty complex. Yeah. We like to talk about challenges here. It is supply chain therapy after all. What challenges do you see? Obviously, there's different warehouse setup. There's a different fulfillment aspect. There's different labor that gets involved. But, you know, fulfilling a, a pair of sunglasses or, or your candles that everyone knows at, at Anthro so well compared to some of those home goods. And what does kind of the setup look like? And how does that change your day to day and your team's day to day? I tend to think about products both in terms of category as well as in terms of like like life cycle. So mm-hmm. operationally, we treat different categories differently, but we also treat like icon products differently, right? So starting with mm-hmm. the planning process, like our furniture and other home products have longer development and production lead times. We plan those earlier. We buy those earlier. We run them through different warehousing and distribution networks. You know, we don't fulfill our fern storage cabinet and the Naomi velvet trousers with the same transportation network and they don't come from the same warehouse. But also like our icon products, our long life products, they're customer favorites that we plan for differently from our more ephemeral products. We're able to forecast them with a lot more precision. We position materials and we're able to be really agile about adjusting supply to customer demand. And I've got like a secret weapon as well. The best planning leader I've ever met, Gary Creaney. So Gary's in the process of building out a differentiated team and set of tools and processes for planning our long life and icon products so that we continue to treat them differently all the way upstream and down from cradle to grave. So there's the category, but then there's also the nature of the product. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And so you have different sort of experiences, different products based on geography. Can you get into that a little bit? It sounds like region has a big impact on how that customer experiences the anthropology brand. Yeah, I mean, certainly to an extent, but I think so the way that we cluster our stores is by more than just geography and like weather patterns, right? Different places have different personalities and different customer preferences. And we actually plan and allocate to those preferences. So I don't think that the way that we execute like the mechanics of the operations or the mechanics of the allocation is is that unique. But the way that we define those clusters is really unique and it's really very customer centric. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the customer experience is so important with anthropology. You walk into that store and you really feel that sense of curation. I'm just curious if you can speak to after they enter the store, maybe they go on the website, maybe they order something online. How do you keep that same experience with all the different touch points? Yeah, well, it starts with our products. We have the best merchant team there is. They're paired with amazing designers and artists, stylists, and content creators. So by using like our own brand design products, plus our legacy icon products that have been around for a long time and people keep coming back for them, by bringing in cool market brands and then doing these like only at Anthro exclusive collaborations 
collaborations with different artists and different designers, depending on the category we're talking about, we're able to have a ton of newness and lots of only at Anthro product. And so that's what generations of shoppers come to us for, is for that only at Anthro product and for the constant discovery and newness and finding like that cool thing that you can't find anywhere else. Oh, totally. I mean, I was looking at bucket hats, like I mentioned, and the coolest bucket hats I've ever seen are on the anthropology website. They do not compare to the ones that you see on the street. (laughs) Oh my gosh, we have so much cool stuff. It's like becoming a problem for me because like I only have so much like closet square footage. So (laughs) I, I, I hear that in San Francisco, we have the smallest closets. All right, let's talk about some more of your other supply chain experiences. I'm curious, anthropology Anthropology does have a lot of categories. We talked about how they do need different supply chain logistics networks. Is this the most complex supply chain you've ever been a part of? It is definitely not because because I started my career in the automotive industry, right? So cars are way more complicated than clothes. They're more complicated than furniture. They're super complicated. (laughs) Um, Like they have to move and you put flammables in them. So yeah, no, no, definitely not the most complex supply chain, but definitely the most complex retail supply chain for you know a lot of the reasons that we've spoken about and the beauty of Anthro is that we truly are a lifestyle brand. And to be so, you have to be able to serve your customer where they're at across the different stages and parts of their lives. So weddings and home decor and garden Mm -hmm. and any event that they need to be outfitted for. So to really be there where your customer's at, you have to be pretty diverse from an offering perspective. And we are. So definitely the most complex retail supply chain, but cars are still more complicated. Sounds like you missed the uh, the automotive industry a ton, John. And- <laughs> Does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty happy. Awesome. <laughs> Sean Henry, our co-founder of Stored, cut his teeth in the automotive industry as well. He did an internship, and that's when he realized how incredibly inefficient, complex the industry is, and he found that need and, and created Stored. So I personally have not had experience in automotive, but it sounds like it's tough. It's a great learning environment, and particularly if you live in the U.S., it's probably the most complex manufacturing mm. you can find. So, I mean, it's truly an amazing learning environment. And I I wouldn't trade those, you know, that first decade for anything. I'm curious with your other background, right? At Away with Lululemon talking about the automotive industry. And I could be wrong, but my understanding on, on a customer preference, right? If I'm buying a suitcase from Away, I'm basically buying one and maybe I have another purchase five, 10, 15 years down the road. And then a a car, obviously you're buying it. It's a one-time almost purchase. Obviously the automotive companies have a customer loyalty aspect where if you buy one brand, you're going to go back and likely buy that same type of vehicle or same manufacturer again. But then with Anthropology and Lululemon, you've got you know, more repeat customers, right? They're coming back, maybe they're shopping once a month, once a quarter. What does the difference look like from a supply chain perspective of just having those those different customer preferences and different purchase opportunities and patterns? Well, I mean, in, in order to keep customers coming in with that like high level of frequency, because 
most people, right? Most people don't go and browse automotive dealerships every week right. to see what's new, right? And most people don't, they don't do it with luggage stores either, right? I mean, as the product gets kind of bigger and, and more rigid, right? New, new releases are, are less frequent. But with an Anthro, you know, we do have new product, I mean, every, every day. And so customers come in to explore. And I mean, it really is like a constant journey of discovery for them, but that means you have to constantly have product mm-hmm. flowing in. And the product can't just be like, you know, random product. Like it had, you have, you have collections and this stuff has to be built out to show up in a certain way to represent the way it was envisioned by the creative team and the design team and the merchant team. So the amount of coordination that requires and the amount of literal and figurative, like air traffic control, you know, to get everything landed in the right place at the right time, particularly when you have, you know, these different store clusters and everything's not allocated identically. So there's a lot that goes into that, certainly. And to constantly delight means you have to constantly have a high volume of product in your pipeline and showing up and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and planning, 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 right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of planning. Yeah, I know you're you're newer to Anthro, but in the past year, what have been some of the hiccups from a planning perspective? If you can share those, or things where the teams really exceeded. I mean, the past couple of years for all of us have been dealing with yeah. a lot of unknown. It's kind of the the role in life of someone in supply chain is you're just dealing with whatever the next phone call is going to be and trying to get ahead of it. But can you share any stories of of successes or, or failures? Yeah, I mean, we're going to all talk about the pandemic till we're, mm-hmm. you know, till we're 100 years old. I mean, and I think I think everybody in supply chain felt it and had a real rough couple of years in some cases, a real learning intense, we could call it a couple of years. And I think everyone was impacted. In particular, like the tighter your margins or the more commoditized your product, the harder it was, right? And if you were a smaller company or a company without scale, I think it was also really hard to get prioritized for limited production or limited shipping capacity. So, I mean, I was fortunate that I've been working with brands that were less impacted, but, you know, nonetheless, the biggest takeaway for me was that you know, in building the most cost efficient supply chains possible, we've become a lot less flexible and less resilient when it Mm. comes to absorbing disruption. So one of the great things that Anthro and that URBN have worked on is, you know, different ways to increase flexibility and both high tech and I'll say classic, I don't want to say low tech, but like high tech and classic techniques, right? So from a high tech perspective, I was surprised and delighted when I joined to see how much cool 3D apparel visualization is used Mm. to reduce sampling and increase speed to market here. It's pretty awesome and much more than I would have expected. And then, you know, on the classical side, we're doing a lot more nearshoring, right? So production in the Western hemisphere gives us a lot more flexibility and it allows us to like utilize U.S. cotton and other raw materials. We have a pretty awesome sourcing team. So I think they did a great job of building flexibility and really taking those lessons from the pandemic and building them into our business. And it just makes us stronger going forward, right? You always need optionality. Yeah, I think just diversifying vendors and in your case, you know, diversifying manufacturing and, you know, speed to market is always great. And I can especially see that from an anthro perspective of just so many new products, so many different seasons, so many different locations that, you know, you have to have your your finger on the pulse there in order to be most efficient. So thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And so let's circle back to your auto experience, because not everyone in the retail industry had a chance to grow up, if you will in auto. And so what advice would you share with them? Lessons learned? I think my advice would be find a way to get 
close to product, right? So whether that be on the manufacturing side or on the distribution side, spend time in factories and spend time in distribution centers. Um, That was why I went into automotive was so that I could do that. I think if you're starting your career, the closer you can get to product, the more it'll teach you and a lot more quickly. And I think if you're an experienced veteran, the more you're you know, close to product, the more it illuminates opportunities to collaborate with key supply chain partners. It highlights waste, efficiency opportunities. I would say just generally get out of the office and go to where the product is made and moved. What's been the biggest learning in, in switching industries from, you know, the different supply chains you've been involved in? I mean, you know, I think the engineering I practiced in the industrial sectors served me really well mm-hmm. in apparel, like quality practices, efficiency practices, demand and supply planning. I've been able to bring a lot of lean practices with me into retail, into apparel and now into home, which actually, you know, more closely resembles like a durable goods environment. And conversely, like the speed at which customer preferences change and the seasonality in retail, like especially in a highly creative environment like Anthros, it took a minute to get used to. And Mm -hmm. I love it. So it wasn't hard to get used to, but that was certainly different. That and being part of an an all-female leadership team was definitely like a new thing. And it's pretty cool. I like it. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And so looking across your wide range of experience, Ford, Away, Lululemon, now Anthropology. I mean, arguably all iconic brands. Is there any commonalities around that brand experience that you see on the the supply chain side? Maybe anything that you're like, because the branding is so incredible that it almost makes maybe your life easier or things that you get to take advantage of because of the incredible brand experience that those companies have built. I think the commonality there is that supply chain always operates in service to the brand and the customer, right? The most important thing is that you really are in a service function. But then I think the advantage of being associated with brands like that is that you're not in a commodity business, right? So you have the room Mm -hmm. from a margin perspective to make the product well and to make it right and to make it, you know, in a way that minimizes kind of the environmental footprint of what you're doing. You don't have to do things like inexpensively. You You can do things well. So that's that's a huge advantage from a supply chain perspective. That seems like both the incredible brand and also the iconic supply chain, right? I mean, having a supply chain where you're working on sustainability practices, you're working on having something that is both good for the customer, good for the world, good for the company, I think is something that all brands would like to achieve. And so being able to achieve that at sort of the high reaching level is great. Well, I think we're at a point of convergence around that stuff, right? Like we're at a point where customers are asking for sustainable product and sustainably made product. And I think we're seeing a convergence of what's good and what's demanded. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Sustainability is more and more being requested, I think, especially from the brands we know and love. But I'm curious, you know, as you look at the next five, 10, 15 years, what else do you think is, is going to be a customer preference? Yeah. I mean, as a lifestyle brand, right, we're really about being there at the key kind of like life events and at those Mm -hmm. key points in our customers' lives. And so for us, a lot of our growth is coming from things like our Beholden brand, which is our wedding gown and bridal party brand and terrain, which is 
this magical space. If you have an opportunity to go to one, you should, but it takes our customer on the next step in their lifestyle journey to their garden, to their outdoor space. So it's like, if you think about your progression through life, as you go from, you know, say typically right from your twenties through your thirties and older, you start kind of very close to body and apparel is where you spend and where you invest. And then it becomes, you know, furnishing your first home and then it becomes furnishing your kind of bigger family home. And then as that's done, it becomes, let me set up this beautiful space outside my home. You know, let Mm -hmm. me set up this beautiful space to entertain in the garden and in my outdoor space. And so if you look back at our customers like me, who started out with the brand 30 years ago, you know, the first time I walked into an anthropology store, I remember thinking, oh, when I grow up, I want my house to look like this. (laughs) And like, I guess I wouldn't want my house today to look like that anthropology store, but my house today <laughs> does look like today's anthropology store. You know what I I'm saying? So ask. it has to, right? It do- yeah, it does. It's, you know, it's yeah, soup to nuts, but the brand has grown with our customers and continued to provide new product and new ways to engage new customers. Like my 12-year-old daughter, she's now grown out of big kid clothes and she's in tiny woman clothes. So like getting to now shop with her and have this like multi-generational experience. It's this beautiful thing. And I think, you know, just in terms of what's next, it's more of that, right? More of creating those environments and those products that allow for that like full lifestyle and multi-generational like experience. And yeah, I mean, again, like I can't imagine being anywhere else because my mom would be unhappy about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as COO, you have to love how short the customer feedback loop is, right? Yeah, it's very short. It's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's very, it's real time. Yeah. That's right. So career advice, thinking about the listeners at home or at their office, what career advice would you give someone that is either just starting out in their role or maybe has been an operator for a while? I think like kind of what I said before, like really get close to the product, you know, if you're on the operations side and don't and don't shy away from getting close to where and how the product is sold either, right? I mean, you learn as many lessons from being in the back room and doing receiving in a retail store as you do, you know, in a warehouse or, or in a manufacturing facility. So I would say, you know, spend as much as much time as possible in the field and figure out what you get the most excited about and what you're good at and then go do more of it. All right. So in supply chain, everyone's experience is so unique, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe in in one instance, you're having to deal with furniture and apparel like at anthropology. And then in the next phase of life, you're doing automotive. So it's hard to have takeaways from each company and bringing them to the next chapter of a person's career. In that regard, What would you say in response? I would challenge that premise. I think that making and moving stuff, there's a lot more similarities when it comes to making and moving stuff across categories and across industries than, than you would think. You know, obviously some things are more complex than others, but at the end of the day, making and moving stuff is about getting something from point A to point B with as little you know, waste as possible. And you can carry those lessons from industry to industry. You know, there are some things that are going to be like really industry specific, but generally speaking, I think that cross-pollination is a nice thing. I think that there are really great best practices in different industries that other industries can benefit from. All right, John, and wrapping up here on this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, and, you know, just curious, talking about what's next, we, we mentioned Terrain. Can you tell us a little bit more about Terrain and why you're so excited about it? 
Well, I'm excited about it for a lot of reasons. For me, the first time I went into a terrain, first of all, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago. It was a little over a year ago. And the first time I went into one, the last time that I had an experience like that, like an emotional reaction to a retail environment was the first time I went into an anthropology. So (laughs) it's like, it's the only word I can think of to describe it as magical. They're just these magical places that bring together design and food and dining and beautiful plants. And it's, it's just, I realize that this is where like, I'm at a loss for words. I'm not, I'm I'm in (laughs) supply chain. I'm not like a words person, but it's this amazing garden and outdoor space. A lot of our terrains are also event venues, right? So they're Mm -hmm. very popular places to have weddings. I mean, they are, they are truly beautiful spaces and Beth and the team have created this like aspirational environment that I've never experienced anywhere else. And then being able to have an amazing latte like in the middle of it, it's like somebody reached into my head and like built my dream. It's they're amazing. It almost sounds like you're trying to move in. I, I would move in. <laughs> I would move in, but I'm it as it turns out, I'm really bad at keeping plants alive. So I've been asked not to do Same. that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But you know you're in the right space when you have that out of body experience. I mean, it sounds like anthropology is such a great fit for you. It feels really good. It feels like home. It really does. I have a hard-hitting question for you. I saw you did an interview when you went to business school and you talked about the benefit of having twins. So this is totally a selfish question. I'm a twin. And so stroke my ego a little bit. As an operator, you know, you mentioned some benefits of having twins. Well, there, yeah, there's a lot of benefits of having twins. Like once you can get past like the initial sort of, we'll call it CapEx, but you know, it's fun. My, my little sisters are actually twins as well. And they're much, they're much younger than me. So I feel like I'm actually on my second set of twins, but I can, <laughs> wow. so my, my twins are a boy and a girl and my sisters are both female. And there's definitely more economies of scale with like same gender twins for sure. But it, Interesting. It, it's actually great. You know, like we moved up here and they started at a new school and it's so nice because they, at a minimum, they have like one friend there, you know? So <laughs> it's great. It, it's, it would have also been great if I could have taught them to like, like the same foods and wear the same colors and maybe even be the same size, but they're not. So, you know, I'm not getting all the scale advantages, but yeah, I have a three-year-old and I wish he had a playmate at this point. I mean, three is a good age where they start needing a friend you know all the what? time. It depends. Cause like mine are like their destruction index is very low, <laughs> but like my sisters were very, very high on the destroy stuff index, you know, they cut each other's hair when they were like three. I mean, like, so you, it's, you don't, you never know what you're going to get, you know? What's the most surprising or most unique product that you, you found at one of the anthro stores? Uh, that's an impossible question because our whole <laughs> assortment is surprising and unique products. I can tell you that I finally bought myself this really cute little lamp that I've wanted for a while. It is a brass raccoon holding a light bulb and looking mischievous. And I cannot explain to you how much I love this thing. It delivered last week. It's so (laughs) cute. It comes in white. Also, in addition to brass, you could type raccoon into the search field of anthropology.com and the little guy's going to pop right up. I mean, we're full of, you know, surprising and unique products, but that was my most recent obsession. And I love him. I need to give him a name. Alex is a great name for a raccoon. I'm just saying. Is it? I don't know. I don't think I've ever named a raccoon, but I haven't either. Let me think on some ideas and I'll shoot them to you in an email after this. Okay, that'd be that'd be cool. I'd appreciate that. 
All right, Jonathan. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on this episode of Supply Chain Therapy. We really appreciate your time and, you know, best of luck with all things anthro and, and terrain and super excited to, to see the supply chain continue to move forward. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more.